We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. to another edition of the People I Sort of Know podcast. Today, my guest is Ray Washburn. He's a member of the Alumni Council there at SMU. He and his wife recently uh, dedicated $5 million to the Washburn Soccer and Track Stadium, and he was highly involved in this move for SMU to the ACC back in a uh, major conference for the first time since the Southwest Conference folded in the mid-90s. Um, we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to go through the financials of the move for SMU as they uh, join Cal and Stanford in that relocation to the Atlantic Atlantic Coast Conference. We're going to talk about what it's been like for SMU, really, you know, in the abyss. They went to four straight bowl games, including beating Notre Dame in the Aloha Bowl in 1984. Did not go to another bowl game until 2009. Uh, Ray was a uh, a classmate of Craig James and Eric Dickerson and the Pony Express. He's got knowledge of. Uh, what was going on at that time for SMU. We get into that a little bit. We get into uh, how SMU became a, uh, a bit of a poster child for something that a lot of schools were doing at the time as well. This is a great podcast for just college football fans, the business of college football that's going on right now, and the uh, the realignment that is affecting so many different people. So again, we, we dip into the financials, we dip into the story of SMU as they uh, are headed into the Atlantic Coast Conference here soon. Next July is when that will take part. So I really appreciate Ray giving his time, giving his uh, his knowledge of this move for SMU. I found a good bit of it very, very fascinating. So sit back and here is Ray Washburn as SMU is headed to the ACC. Let's talk about it now on the People I Sort of Know podcast. Ray, I really appreciate the time today. I know it's an exciting time there in Highland Park with SMU joining the ACC uh, here soon, but really uh, right now, you, you told me a minute ago before we started the show, you actually were at Ole Miss for a semester back uh, when you got started in college. What, uh, what what took you to Oxford back in the day? Yeah, actually, I was there a year. I graduated from Highland Park High School in Dallas in 79, and, you know, at the time, Ole Miss was a very hot school, which it still is for people from, from uh, Highland Park, so I, I went over there for the fall of 79, and the spring of 80, and I'm trying to remember the quarterback back then um, ended up playing for the Saints. It wasn't Archie John Manning. Forcade. John Forcade, that's right. And so, yeah. uh, anyway, I went to all the Ole Miss games, and it was uh, it was a little different for me because everyone wore coat and tie to the games. And mm-hmm. I was so uh, it, it was a great experience, but I, I was paying my way through college, and I had to get back to Dallas and get back to a little more. Uh, a little more opportunity to make some money. Yeah, so, I know. I understand. I, and Go ahead. 
Oh, anyway, I came back and I, I came back right into the time period when SMU was, you know, white hot in football and Craig James, Eric Dickerson were in my class. And, you know, we just had an absolutely incredible time. There was a coach named Ron Meyer there and SMU was mm-hmm. going around. I think my, my uh, sophomore year, which is 1980, we went down to the University of Texas and they substituted quarterbacks at halftime. SMU took out a guy named Mike Ford and put in a guy named Lance McElhaney as quarterback as a true freshman. And halftime, we came back, beat University of Texas in Austin, and it was just absolutely crazy. And from that point forward, it was – if you watch the uh, 30-30 deal on SMU football, the pony excess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It walks, it walks through that whole period. Yeah, I became fascinated. I mean, just other than covering college football and 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 what I do for for a living, but beyond that, I read I guess the book about that years ago, uh, a payroll to meet. I think yep. was the, uh, the the title of the book, and that's what got me sort of ingrained in the story, and has kept me somewhat entrenched in it ever since, to to whatever degree. Did you know Dickerson, James, those guys in in school oh, yeah. in college when you were at SMU? Oh, absolutely. We we're all you know that one thing about SMU is a very small school, and so I think. Back then, it's probably six thousand students, and so everybody kind of knew everyone and classes and everything else. So I was an SAE at SMU, and my big brother was the tight end on the football team, and you know the center. So we they came to our parties, and you know got to know them really well. And I tell you, it was a uh, just a different time period back then when everyone was so close to each other. Were you hearing the stories in real time about everything that was going on during that point with SMU? Of course we did. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> you know, but every other school is the same way. You know, exactly. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The football players would tell you because I mean they all lived in the dorm. We don't have an athletic dorm at SMU, so the football players and everyone lives in either the dorms, or the fraternity houses, and so you would hear these crazy stories that before game, you know, they'd all meet as they were stretching and stuff at midfield, and the SMU players and the Texas A&M players, and they they'd all say, "How much you get for a fumble this game? How much you get for an interception?" And, you know, the going rate at the time was you get a fumble, you got 50 bucks. You know, tackles were worth $50. A interception was 100 One run back for a pick six was 500 bucks. And what would happen at film the next day on Sundays, they would show the film. But every school did the same thing. And they would go up there and you would rate yourself. If you're a defensive lineman, let's say, and you had three tackles and there were 100 bucks a tackle at the end of the film session, as you're walking out of the film room, they – you, you turn in your ticket and the coach compare and say, no, you had two and a half tackles, not three or whatever. And then the next morning, your, your cleats would be, would have the cash in. Them. So mm-hmm. you got three of them, you get 300 bucks and that'd be in there. So everyone would compare notes before every game. So this whole thing that SMU was doing something bad, the whole system was doing it bad. It's just, we were a small private school that was having phenomenal success and the big schools just threw us under the bus and, you know, we're in one of the the fourth largest media market in the country, and they just fed off this thing. So we couldn't hide in Lubbock or Stillwater or somewhere behind a friendly press. You feel like even if it's one or two fewer wins a year, then they're not the the poster child for this, and they'd hit somebody else or not hit anybody during that period of time. I mean, what do you what do you think put it over the top that SMU became the poster child? Well, because we weren't TC or Baylor at the time. I mean, they exactly. were horrible programs. Right, right. And uh, again, we were in the major media market and they were looking to feed on it. And mm-hmm. that and the fact that we were signing the, the best recruits in the uh, um, in the country. You know, Eric Dickerson, the day before he signed with SMU, a gold Trans Am showed up in right. his uh, 
driveway with a choking chicken on the front hood and people were laughing about it and saying, Oh, who, who gave him that? And next day he signs with SMU. Well, some A&M boosters had given it to him and you know, this beautiful trans am with SMU, we called it his trans A&M. So it was a, uh, but all the programs are doing it. You can see the cars in the parking lot. Like they said, it looked like a new car dealership, but the same thing was in Austin and all the other places. And they just couldn't deal with this small time program all of a sudden becoming big time and signing the great players from around the country. You know, what tripped SMU up was one guy who from Pittsburgh, uh, he's either from Detroit or Pittsburgh. I think he said they named David Stanley and David Stanley came in, blew his knee out and they stopped paying him. And so he said he was going to turn him in. And the governor of Texas at the time, which is Bill Clement said, Hey, we have an obligation to these guys. We told them we'd pay them. We're going to keep paying them because we we're good. Our word's good. And so, but they stopped paying David Stanley and he went and turned it into the uh, ABC affiliate in town and boom, the whole top blew off of it. And at that point you couldn't put the toothpaste back in the tube and the other programs just started piling on. But, you know, again, my friends that played at other schools, it was happening everywhere mm-hmm. and not just Southwest conference has happened the whole country. Yeah. That Trans Am's a bit infamous. Do you ever get to drive it? You, you ever drive the Trans Am back in the day? I saw it cruising around a lot. Eric, Eric, okay. that car driving around. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it, as you said, you finish up in 84, I, I guess the 84 Aloha Bowl, SMU's fourth in the row. They beat Notre Dame. They go 10 and two, finish top 10 in the country at that point. Last bowl game until 2009. Um, when that happens and everything kind of goes down, what's your what's your mindset? I mean, do you think it's it's you know can you can get it back? Is it until the Southwest Conference falls in '95 that you go, wow, there's a problem? And what's what's the beginning of that that period like in, in SMU? Well, well, you know what happened, and I, I the school administration at the time we took it from I think it was a one year deal we had to cancel football, and the school said no, we're going to really penalize ourselves and cancel it for two years, and mm-hmm. at that point. You know, everyone scatters to the wind and you have to we bring in Forrest Gregg who's a Hall of Fame, you know, player and coach who took Green Bay to the Super Bowl and and you know and I'm sorry, Cincinnati Bengals to the Super Bowl and then comes in and tries to rebuild the program. But at that point they moved us back from Texas Stadium, which was, you know, absolutely the palace of all football at the time, brings us back to a little tiny uh Ombi Stadium on campus and it was a rinky dink stadium and you know, we just get annihilated by the Southwest Conference schools, you know, the next two or three years. And then Southwest Conference goes away. And it just was a slippery slope. We went down and as an alumni and it's, a, you know, very, very active in the program all these years. It was always next year, next year, next year. We're going to get there. And What are we now? 40 years later. And, you know, we finally turn it with uh, Sonny Dykes about four or five years ago and start getting the program going the right way. But as I'm sure we'll talk about this in a little bit, but as a alum and as a someone who's a staunch fan that would travel and go to all the games, it, it was just truly frustrating that, you know, people forget TCU and the Southwest Conference blew up. TCU was not part of the original Big 12. They floated with mm-hmm. us in, in the desert, at the WAC and Conference USA and these things. And they, when they got back into the Big 12, you know, that's what turned that program to, to going forward. Was there ever has there been a point in this where you didn't think they would get back to a major program or have a chance to play big time college football? I mean, where where's sort of where what have you thought about their trajectory at different points? You know, that's that's a very interesting question because we kept thinking that we were going to get into the Big Twelve, but you know, our, the block on us are is TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech, really, because 
they recruit out of Dallas, Fort Worth, you know, it's 8 million people. And this is their, they just didn't want another team on the same level that they are as a conference goes to recruit against. Because if you're a kid coming out of high school, would you rather play in Dallas or Lubbock or Stillwater or Waco? Mm -hmm. And so, or Fort Worth even. So we, uh, we definitely had the competitive advantage and all that, but at the end of the day, we kept waiting for a conference alignment to open up and it kept being next year, next year, next year. And the next year was, you know, how is conference realignment going to look like? And it was obvious to us we weren't going to get in the big 12. So we were just floating literally for decades waiting for this opportunity to join something. And now that we're in the ACC, it's, you know, it's game on. Yeah. We'll get to the particulars in a second of that, but do you feel like it's taken something like this to get donors re-energized and, you know, rededicated into this? I mean, you know, the, 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 obviously from a monetary standpoint, the ceiling for SMU is incredibly high, but, you know, when you're playing the conferences and the teams that you're playing, I would have assumed that there's a different energy that's going around to try to get that activated right now. Oh yeah. I mean, playing Prairie View A&M or East Carolina or Eddie or UCF, I mean, they don't travel. Their fans don't travel. I mean, the stands. I mean, being in the Big 12, whenever we played Texas Tech or Texas A&M or someone like that or Baylor at home, stadiums sold out. But these other schools don't travel in, into here. So, yeah, that took a lot of the air of the balloon. But you got to remember, the big donors 40 years ago aren't around anymore. And so right. this generation of people that are giving the stadiums and giving the buildings and the all that, this is a new group that has come in really in the last 10 years and taking control, realizing this, if SMU is ever going to play major college football, this is the last opportunity we possibly could have to get in. If we hadn't gotten in the ACC, there'd have been zero chance our program could have survived. But you know, Stanford and Cal were looking at the same thing as well. I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. where do you go? There, there was nowhere else to go. It's down to four power power. Now it's no longer the power five. It's the power four. And, you know, we don't want to get stuck in the alumni. And let me tell you, on an endowment, SME has an endowment of three to a little over $3 billion. And alumni giving, it's, it's a rising tide. You get a good athletic program. People feel good about the school. They give money to the school. Sure. And they might not give an athletic program. They're giving it to the biology department or the history department. It just lifts the tide of the entire school. And so getting into a conference, which we'll get – to in a minute to the financial side of this, but you know, typically being an ACC, we that's a thirty to thirty-five million dollar a year payout. That's the equivalent of adding a billion dollars to your endowment because that's a that's like a three three and a half percent return on an endowment. So that's what people kind of lose sight of, and that's when people on the academic side say we shouldn't be athletics. It's like we're about to add a billion dollars of value that you're going to be able to use uh-huh. for other parts of the campus. From a donor standpoint, is it a new set of donors that are willing to give to athletics? Is it people who give to academics and athletics? Or are you, you know, moving some interest where people gave to biology and academics and general funds that now are more dedicated toward the athletic side of this going on? No, I think they're pretty separate. I, I don't okay. think anyone's going to load over biology to football, but it just <laughs> lifts the tide of the great feelings for the school. And, and look, in our case, joining the ACC, now being in the same breath as Duke and UNC and UVA and, and those schools on an academic standpoint, when someone's looking to donate to the biology department or, or those areas, you know, now the feeling is you're on equal turf with a peer group that, you know, SMU has always thought our, our peer group universities were schools like 
on a private level like Northwestern or USC or Duke and things like that. Well, now we're on this. Now we're on the same level. I could athletically, we can be academically. Where is SMU's current NIL structures and are there hopes for that being a certain thing? Do you kind of have a thing in mind for what you would like for that to look like? You know, I think we have the fourth or fifth largest NIL currently in the program. And and you, you know what NIL stands for, right? You're, go ahead. Make, make your joke. Go ahead. Well, what, what SMU we call now, it's legal. Oh, it's a good point. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> but um, no, from the, from the uh, NIL standpoint, we've had some very generous donors and, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's substantial and for players, but look, the whole, listen, the, the, the whole strategy for SMU at this point, NIL and otherwise is we're in a city and metropolitan area of over 8 million people. Okay. What's the size of Mississippi? A couple million. Yeah. Right. The whole state. So we're four times the size of that or Arkansas, other states. All SMU has got to do is recruit players out of Dallas. We don't have to worry about anywhere else. And even if a five-star lineman ends up going to Alabama or Ole Miss or somewhere, they get homesick or they show up and there are five other five stars from the same position. The idea is like this past year, we got, I think, four guys from Miami. We got a lineman from AM. We got a running back from Alabama. And these kids, if they just want to come home, that's all we want to do. We want, if we're not number one school, we want to be their number two school. And then if something happens in those other places, hopefully we'll get them as a transfer and we have enough NIL money to give them to, you know, to hit it. We're not going to do an Arch Manning deal, $2 million a year, but we can sure fund these guys with money. But our program at SMU athletically is it's across the board. You know, women's sports get it. And all sports get paid. You know, you, you mentioned that there was hopes for the Big 12 for a long time. When, you know, was there, was there ever a, a maybe not a close call, but a time where you thought that was going to happen, where phone calls were made or anything went down the road at all, where that was a possibility? Or was this ACC thing kind of uncharted where you hadn't sort of been, you know, you, you'd been teased at any point? Oh, it, it, it always was in our conversations, Big 12. But, you know, knowing my friends and these other Baylor and TCU and Tech, we knew it probably never going to happen because they didn't want us in there as a competitive, you, you know, standpoint. And so mm-hmm. – in fact, yesterday, Baylor lost, TCU lost, uh, Texas Tech lost, all these programs. And so uh, now we're in the ACC when we're out recruiting. And we go to a kid and say, look, you want to go to Baylor, TCU, Oklahoma State or something? That's great. You're just going to be driving around the Southwest. You come to us, you get to go play in Pittsburgh. You get to go play in Boston. You get to go play in Miami, in Florida State, in Clemson. We think it's going to give us a huge recruiting lift to show these kids, hey, you get to see the rest of the country. You're not just stuck here, you know, in the, within the Texas footprint at all. So that's – and to answer your question on that, but that's – so in our minds, we always thought we could get in the Big 12, but, but practically speaking, we knew it wasn't going to happen. So the Pac-12 went all the way down the road to the day it blew up about a month ago. SMU thought they were having a vote the day it blew up, and SMU was going to get voted in, and the commissioner called our head of our – athletics and said you know the votes today i thought i was going to call until you got in but instead everyone's left and so it was just a total implosion on their part which i think played better for SMU. i'd much rather play on the east coast than the west coast high 12 was still in tons of danger in some ways it might have been the best thing that ever happened to you because that oh, happens absolutely. and you could have been just sitting there at washington state and oregon state left out to dry oh absolutely absolutely I don't know what happens to those programs. They end up in the Mountain West or big, mm-hmm. or I don't know, 
playing Wyoming in those programs because and that's what's happening right now is you know as it shrinks down to just four conferences I mean th- this is kind of it that's why if we hadn't gotten into this it could have just been totally game up for us because then our counterparts in the Big 12 could have just thrown dirt in our grave and you know said SMU is just going to be relegated to second tier status so where were you and when did you get the uh, the call that were officially in? I guess it goes – it went official media-wise on Friday morning after the meeting, but did you know prior to that and what was going on? Oh, I knew the vote was going to be that morning. I was actually in Colorado Springs. I got a call about 6.30 that morning that, that it happened. But it was supposed to be Monday night and had that shooting in, at UNC, that student shot that professor. Mm-hmm. So that pushed the vote back. And we, it was supposed to have Monday night. And we were like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen here? But NC State came in and they were the ones that – had the swing vote that saved it for us. For all three of us, for Cal and, and Stanford. Is there politicking with NC State directly when something like that's going on? How oh, does that absolutely. work? Yeah, no, it's been going on for the last year. It's just, you know, working the board level and the chairman of the boards and the athletic departments and, you know, the financial aspect that ended up happening. You know, SMU gave up for nine years, I guess seven years, any any media money. And so that was a $210 million, you know, forfeit for us. And then Cal and Stanford are only getting 30%. They're each getting $6 million. But from our perspective, being in the American conference, we were only getting $6 million a year anyway. So mm-hmm. people go, gosh, you gave up $30 million a year. It's like, no, we weren't getting that anyway. So what we gave up was $6 million, and so not 30 So the financial calculus was a lot more uh, – not as dire as people like to make it out to be. What do you feel like it needs to be though, from a donor level to offset that from to be, to be, you know, to be competitive and be on a competitive level? Uh, I don't, I don't know the number for that, but you got to remember, we're going to have an opportunity to um, we're going to have an incredible opportunity with increased ticket sales, you know, just a lot of things that surround it. And again, as I was saying earlier, the feeling of the school, I went to the, our home game yesterday, and the feeling of the alumni all is so buoyant, and people are so excited that now being in that, you're going to see money coming into the university to other parts that won't be reflected in the athletic department. People just feel like, you know, we're on a different footing now. Is that, you know, we're on a level basis with these other schools, top-tier universities now. So when would you say this ACC thing started? I guess you said around a year or whatnot, but, you know, whether it be your involvement or phone calls or hearing, what, what was the, the impetus to this beginning? Uh, probably two or three years ago. I mean, everyone okay. knew. It was like, can we get in the Big 12? No. And then, I mean, calls are going around like, would the Big 10 want to have a presence in Texas? Would, you know, the Pac-12, kind of what's going on there? And There's just a lot of conversation. A lot. SEC, no, but the other ones, yes. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know, Ray, it's that turnaround that I find fairly fascinating because, you know, you, you, you mentioned even in this calendar year, the Pac-12 and recently being maybe that, that top option. And then now here we are in uh, early September and it is the ACC when did you sort of feel like that turn had happened? I mean, when when did you wake up and go, hey, the ACC is a real possibility here and we're moving so quickly to get this thing accomplished potentially? Well, actually, this whole year, it was all moving towards the Pac-12. And right. that, and it was probably, uh, where are we, about September 2nd now. So that was August, probably the beginning of August when the Pac-12 meltdown began. Then all of a sudden it was a huge scramble. And when that happened, and all those teams jumped to the Big 12, Cal and Stanford, when they became available, that's when the ACC said, okay, the majority of the schools over there said, you know, we got to make closure on this thing. And they were in a panic, both Stanford and, and uh, I mean, there's talk of Stanford even just totally dropping football mm-hmm. and or dropping down a whole category. And then Cal would have been hung out there. But you know, when the financial thing came about, because ESPN had to all had to give, I think it was 32 million each for the three schools. So for a new market. So that would be, you know, the Dallas market and San Francisco market. So all of a sudden you had 90 million thrown up onto the table a year. And when you throw that kind of meat into the lion den, all of a sudden the, the smaller schools like a Pitt or Syracuse or Wake Forest, I mean, that's serious money. So when that got thrown up and SMU went in first and said, look, we're willing to forego it for a period of time. And then Cal and Stanford initially weren't willing to do that. And then they came about and said, you know, all right, we'll do it. Well, then they each just got 30%. So they're instead of getting 32 million a year, they're going to get what, what, what is that? That's like seven or 8 million. And so when they were willing to do that, and then the balance of that money was thrown out there, then the inner fighting or inner discussion among the ACC members happened. And the ACC presidents got together and, and the holdout schools from the first straw poll were, were, was Clemson, North Carolina, NC State, and Florida State. And the rest of the schools wanted that money and they wanted it kind of carved up between them. And so they came back and, you know, a couple on the outside was like UVA, you know, we weren't sure exactly how they were going to play it. But then they, and I don't know exactly how it ended up going on the ACC side, but they started doing things like, okay, if you win a championship, you get more money. If you show excellence in your programs, you get more, you, you know. So that cash that was thrown up onto the table, which ended up being at the end of the day, was about probably $75, $80 million, something like that. When that was thrown up there, all of a sudden, and they carved some off for the schools that are more challenging in football, um, that's they had to buy them their votes, basically. But the only school that, that flipped was NC State. 
So it was not a unanimous vote to let the three of us in. Uh, UNC, Florida State, and Clemson, the three of them were holdouts, which, you know, once you think you've lost a vote, you think you just go, go ahead and just go unanimous just because it looks better. Right. I, but those three held out. So we, you know, we owe a lot, real debt of gratitude to uh, NC State, Stanford, Cal, and ourselves uh, for swinging it. Was that was that even a discussion from the SMU side to forego, or was that pretty unanimous through the we're, we're talking donors, board, alumni council, whoever's making these decisions? Was that a pretty pretty clear cut thing, or was there some some conversation we, to that? Yeah, we started offering that up back uh, probably a year ago, talking to ACC and uh, Pac twelve and the other kind of say, hey, we're free, you know, we'll do it free. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was for three years, and it just kind of grew from there. But and, and the idea was this: if because w- once you look into those TV contracts, you see it. ESPN has got to come up with another thirty million dollars to add um, a ma- the fourth largest media market in the country. Um, that's real money we were giving up. You know, it's not like a few million dollars. I mean, thirty-two million dollars, and you got a league. I mean, that's millions of dollars for each one of these schools, and so that meant a lot. And so that got us really to the table. If we'd held out for full share, nothing would ever happen, or even for a smaller cut, it, you had to make something that was radical. And, and um, you know, our, you know, major donors decided, okay, what, what are we giving up? And as I said earlier, we're, we're, compared to what we're getting now, it's not that much money. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Was there a certain number of years that you would have been uncomfortable with, or was this simply the only path back to major football? So whatever it is, you figure it out. Yeah. It's the only path forward. And you know, yeah. I, the contract, the TV contract for ACC goes to 2036. So we, there, there is 13 years left on that contract. By the time we get in, there'll be 12 years left on that contract. And, you know, what, what happens, what's a world look like, you know, three or four years down the road anyway? I mean, it's does this thing get blown up and start it all over again? And is there a huge reshift? And, you know, there, there are other theories out there what might happen that, down, you know, just a few years from now, there could be a, I don't have, this is pure speculation on my part, but you end up getting a Google or a Facebook or a Netflix or someone that comes along and just say, or Apple and says, Hey, I, we'll give the top, call it 60 programs in the country, a hundred million a year each break off from the NCAA and just start a new league, almost a mini NFL and just leave everybody else in the dust. And that, but what that does for SMU now, we're in a power four conference is, and in the fourth largest media market, that gives us negotiating power. Because then it becomes, if you want Dallas-Fort Worth, do you want SMU or do you want TCU? You know, do you want this? The, the programs that are going to be just totally left out will be the small media market. Would be like, I, I, look, this is just my speculation, but sure. you have an Iowa State? I mean, look at Mississippi State. I mean, you know, if there are only this top 60 programs in the country and they go through the ACC and they probably wouldn't take two from the state of Mississippi. They take one. And, you know, you, the Washington states are out, you know, you go to Arizona, do you need two Arizona schools or just one Arizona school? You know, Texas, University of Texas kind of cut co- and Texas A&M kind of cover the Houston, Austin, San Antonio market. And then the Dallas market would be covered by either SMU or TCU. So that discussion is probably going to start up if it hadn't, you know, pretty much already, Okay, if you did a, let's do the math on that. Let's say Netflix said we'll do a hundred million a year. That's six billion dollars a year on the size of a company like that, and they could establish their quote own NFL. 
One NFL franchise today costs almost $6 billion. You know, if you think about it, and Fox really was created and became something when they got the NFL and they took it away from CBS 20 years ago. So, you know, people in the media business, which you're in, you can kind of see how that's coming up. And they all hate the NCAA anyway. And so the football programs all think, why do we need the NCAA? Do you feel like Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina voted no simply because they're the ones that's the, the highest likelihood to get out, go elsewhere, keeping options open, that kind of thing, just not investing back into the ACC? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I did This is just me speaking, but I think they use it as leverage to get more cash out of the deal for their programs. And But the, the deal is on the programs, you have to show success to get, I mean, this additional money. So. Obviously, Clemson and Florida State think they're there. You know, UNC's football program's on a rise. Mm-hmm. They kind of feel like they're going to get there. So, But the, the smaller programs, whether you're Virginia Tech, Pitt, Syracuse, Wake Forest, I mean, th- this money is it, – it, it's a real something. Southern – I mean, uh, Cal Berkeley law – I think they had the state fund $30 million last year, the athletic program, to make up for a loss. So they're giving up the money. That is really going to hurt that program. They really had to go to their donors and raise capital to make up that funding gap. Was so, there conversation? Was there conversation between SMU and Cal and Stanford? Or are you trying to all be on the same page? I mean, what what does that interactions look like at that point? Yeah, I, I went a party to those. I think it was more of everyone's kind of fighting for themselves <laughs> um, because you know, from Cal and and Stanford's perspective, that travel is going to be tough. So one thing that the SME deal did bring to it, they're going to take a lot of called the, the Olympic sports and have the championships in Dallas, let's say the swimming, the non-revenue sports, the swimming, equestrian, maybe baseball, those things. So by bringing it here with, you know, the largest airport in the country, it's going to be very easy for Cal and Stanford to travel here and also those programs in Blacksburg, Virginia or Pittsburgh to travel in and, and have a spot. So, that's one thing SMU, we're, we're going to have to spend – we've got fantastic facilities at the school, and it's the middle of the country. So, you know, that's another thing we want to help elevate ourselves. I know, I know you've been doing some renovations and things planned for Gerald Ford yeah. Stadium. What, what, on campus, what are sort of the next things to upgrade as, as you're inside the ACC and in a, in a Power Four? Well, we're currently under construction with a $100 million end zone complex. It'll have new weight rooms, locker rooms, suites, club, and all those things. Uh, so that's – under control, that'll be open for next season. I gave the new soccer and track stadium, which opened a year ago. Uh, that's probably the uh, – to another interesting fact, SMU is the only D1 soccer program in the state of Texas. Texas doesn't have D – you know, we're not Division One soccer. Okay. A&M does They have other sports because of Title IX. So we now have, you know, the finest soccer stadium in the state. And so – those are big sports for the ACC, which is great for us because we're we're already you know a top program in that in that area. I don't know. Does Ole Miss even have a D one? They probably don't have a soccer program, do they? Do they? Yeah, the, the women's soccer is obviously D one, but yeah, men's soccer they don't have it all outside club. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, an advantage here. We have a brand new natatorium, beautiful swimming pool. We're the only school in the country that has an Olympic indoor and outdoor pool, so that's unique to uh, to the school, and so. Uh, and Moody Coliseum, our basketball arena, had a probably $100 million renovation about three years ago. And it's 
as good as any arena in the country. So I think they've spent 300, 350 million on athletic facilities in the last five to 10 years. So everything is, you know, prime and ready to go. We don't have to build it. It's done. I had this conversation with Gerald Turner several years ago, Ray. What's it going to take to get a baseball team there in Highland Park? What do you got to do? We got to yeah. get a baseball team. Well, it's really a Title IX issue uh-huh. because we'd have to add women's sports to the same thing. And baseball is really a non revenue sport. And the women's sport to add would have to be non revenue. So if it was women's sure. softball or whatever. So it's not like saying we're adding a revenue sport on one side and it's counterbalancing it. It's sure. non revenue. And, and the other, I'll tell you, it was interesting that Nebraska yesterday selling 92,000 seats for that mm-hmm. women's volleyball. I was watching a, a story on it and they said they've sold out, I think nine or 10 years in a row, their arena for women's volleyball. So that's a Correct. revenue sport. We'd love to figure that out. Yeah. They've been able to do with volleyball. What some SEC schools do with baseball, where you can actually turn the profit and, and, you know, fill up the big stadiums and, and, and do that type of thing. They're, they're kind of the one that has, that has done that from a volleyball standpoint. It's been kind of crazy to watch. So, yeah, you know, so that, that that's the issue. It's like the, the other problem with baseball here is when you're in Oxford and you have a great baseball team, that is the thing to go do. I mean, you're competing here at the Texas Rangers. We have a triple A affiliate up in Frisco. And there, so there's a lot of competition for the eyeball here. What's the relationship? You mentioned it several times. What is the relationship, athletic departments, as you guys grow? Because you're going to, you're in the ACC between you and TCU. Is that is, is that the is that the rivalry to watch for the the own looker for somebody like me? Yeah, I get. You know, Sonny Dykes over there, which he didn't leave in the proper fashion, probably. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, you know, we've had a home and home with them since for a hundred and something years, and they've canceled it after. It comes up for renewal after the 2025 season. They announced last week that they they have other people they prefer to start playing now starting in the 2026 season. So that's kind of, you know, riled up some people that are like the long-term classic football rivalries on that. But now that we're in the ACC, we feel like we're in a superior conference and there is no competition anymore. Do you worry about – Florida State or Clemson are people leaving and potentially watering down that league at all, or is it is, is it simply you know best case and you do all you can and you worry about your own your own backyard? You know, my understanding of the way this TV contract they have in the SEC is, if you leave, you not only give up the money that the league was going to give you, you have to give all the money up from the new league that you go to, and so they would be walking away from thirty two million dollars a year or thirty four. If they joined the SEC and let's say they were to get 40, they have to get that 40 back to the ACC. So that's a uh, $70 million hit. And so I know they're trying to figure out every way they can, you know, wiggle out of this deal. But, you know, we'll see, you know, how how it plays out. I don't know. Does the SEC even want to? I mean, you you guys are Ole Miss. Does – Alabama and Auburn want to have Florida State and Clemson recruiting in their backyard just saying, or, you know, we're the same as you. I think they like having the difference. It's like TCU and SMU, the Big 12 type thing. That's about to say, th- those don't, but I'll tell you who definitely doesn't is Florida and South Carolina. Yeah. Talk about some some boards and the fighting and, and whatnot from that standpoint. So, no, I mean, that's that's been the thing is there's been really no push for those schools at all in that way. You yeah. know, Florida State just assumes someone wants them, but no one has really made that step so far to make that happen. Well, one, one thing I've heard is that they think the Big Ten might want them and Florida State and, and uh, you know, UNC and those schools. But, you know, the Big Ten's pretty full. I, I don't – what do they have, 18 teams now? So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's – Yeah. 
it's like, well, why do they need any more? The interesting thing will be to see if Notre Dame ends up becoming a full member of the ACC at some point or if the Big Ten tries to grab them. But, again, they already have 18 teams. Just for clarification purposes, SMU is also not eligible for any of the success portion of that pool either, correct? It's, it's no money whatsoever, no matter on finishes, or are you eligible for that? No, I, I have not seen the final contract, but I think if we go to a bowl and all this, I think we're eligible for that money. Right, sure. I think okay. just the ESPN money. Right, right, right. Gotcha. Just the, the main portion that was not put out depending on yeah, results. I, right. I am not a party to the final contract, but that's basically my understanding of the thing. It's not too long from now. You are going to get this. You're going to get, you know, Miami, Florida State, Clemson, one of these teams back in in Highland Park playing at SMU. What's it going to be like? I mean, just I mean, for you, even emotional. I mean, it's been a long time since you mentioned this 84 and the end of the Southwest Conference and a long road back. What's it What's it going to be like when it gets here? Oh, it's going to be incredible. You know, our stadium right now seats about 36,000. Those teams start coming in here. We're probably going to have to add another 10,000 seats. I mean, the ideal size stadium. I will say TCU did a great job on their stadium. It's about 45, 46,000 seats. And they sell out every game and bring in the big programs. But the interesting thing in Dallas is uh, there's so many just, just raw sports fans here. So when they come in, a Miami, Clemson, Florida State, even a UNC, Duke, they're people, they might not be SMU fan, but they're probably not either a Clemson fan. They just want to see Clemson play. And so I think we'll be selling out every game no matter who even travels or a pit or a UVA, just the general interest of the sports fan here, as opposed to some of the pro like we played Louisiana tech yesterday. I mean, that doesn't draw a big uh, local interest to them. So um, the buzz will be huge. And, and uh, the other thing is I think a lot of those programs will travel here because they've been traveling to the same geographical markets forever. And now all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we're at NC state. You know, we're going to go to one or two away games a year. Why don't we just jump on Southwest Airlines and go to Dallas and see something new and different? So I think there's going to be a big travel here just because it's we're, we're kind of the new new. Mm -hmm. You told me you were recently with uh, Craig James. Which is, what's his thoughts on all this? Yeah. No, I stood on the sideline with him yesterday at the La Tech game, at the Louisiana Tech SMU game. And, oh, he's really jacked up. I mean, all the former players are really excited and, you know, we're ready to get our place back on the stage. What's the next step? What's what, what's 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 the dates and that, that thing as far as when this thing moves Start, forward? J July 1, 2024, which is, you know, whatever, 10 months from now, get to these sports and, you know, join in at that point. The other thing is, I don't know what the number is, but we got to buy it. You know, we got to get our contract out of get out of the AAC, the American Conference. And the other schools that bought out last year, Houston, the others, it was an $18 million ticket to get out. So, okay. Um, you know, so they could join the Big 12. And I already know the Dallas paper today had written up that um, they've circled, and I heard this yesterday as well, that Army will probably replace us in the American Conference. Oh, they're not for football, because they're an independent right now. Right, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I appreciate your time. I know you got a lot going on today. got a lot going on in uh, in general. That's fascinating stuff. So uh, congratulations to you and SMU. And as uh, this thing gets going, let's, uh, let's talk again at some point.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.